It's a joy to turn to the Word of God this evening, and uh, you'll be turning up the passage now, and maybe even as I speak you have already located it, Luke's Gospel and the chapter 24. We're going to begin the reading at verse 28. You find two people on a journey homewards are walking along that dusty eastern highway as to the day. Well, it's the evening of the Lord's day, and they find themselves walking homewards, only to be joined by another who leads them into, oh, a very, very interesting and profitable conversation. We read about it here, Luke chapter 24, verse 28. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, And he made, that's the Savior, the risen Christ, he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose up the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. To put it in another language, they they thought they were looking at a ghost. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, 
These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Praise the Lord for the reading of his word. May the Holy Spirit interpret the things of Christ for us. Write them into our hearts. Bless that word in the reading of it and in the preaching of it too. In his name. Amen. I invite you to turn, please, in God's Word to Luke's Gospel again, the 24th chapter. And I want you to consider the words that are found in verses 37 and 38 of this portion, this blessed portion of God's precious Word. Luke 24, 37, speaking of the disciples, the eleven gathered there in the upper room. It says, But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And here's our text for this evening as we think about the subject of anxiety, an antidote to anxiety. The Son of God says to His people, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts Anxious thoughts, that is. Thoughts of fear and worry and anxiety. Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? We'll pray together. Let's seek the Lord earnestly and pray for the help of the Spirit of God. Let's seek the Lord just now. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come again to the throne of grace in the Savior's name. We acknowledge, Lord, that there are times in our lives whenever we're troubled. Sometimes, O oh God, we're afraid and we're anxious and we're worried. And we acknowledge, O oh God, that thoughts can arise in our hearts. And we thank Thee, O oh God, tonight for a sympathizing Savior, a compassionate Christ, a loving Lord, a merciful Master, a gracious God. We pray tonight, O Father, that Thou will come and speak into our hearts and speak into our very lives tonight. May the Son of God draw near to each and every one, especially, O God, those who are struggling with anxiety, those, Lord, who are troubled, those, Lord, who perhaps are weary and distressed. Lord God, we pray that the Spirit of God will come and open our hearts to the lovely Word of God, and grant that the Son of God will stand tonight in our midst, in all of His fullness and risen power. So, Father, I pray now for the help of the Spirit of God. Hide me behind the cross. 
glorify and magnify thy Son, for it's in his name and for God's everlasting glory we pray. Amen. Keeping control of your mind or keeping control of your thought life can be one of the most difficult things for us to do in these days. All around us, we hear reports of uh, mental health problems, anxiety, fear, worry, despair, and depression. And even in the life of a Christian, the life of a believer, keeping control of one's thoughts can be a very, very real struggle and a very real battle. Just a couple of years ago, some scientists and psychologists carried out an investigation into how many thoughts pass through the mind every single day. They came up with the figure of 6,000. 6,000 thoughts coursing through the human brain at a speed of 278 miles per hour every single day. A number of years even before that, somebody else carried out uh, a survey, and they believed that the human brain processes somewhere in the region of 60,000 to 80,000 thoughts every single day. That's a remarkable figure. And out of all of those thoughts that pass through our minds every day, some of them are very practical thoughts. Some of them are positive. But I suppose maybe a vast majority of the thoughts that pass through our minds every single day are negative. Negative thoughts that cause us perhaps to be anxious and worried and afraid. Man is more than just a brain connected to a body. The Bible says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It's not merely tonight that you and I have a soul. The Bible says that man is a living soul. And whenever the Bible speaks about the soul, we often say that the soul is the seat of the personality. The soul is the real you, the real person, the real individual that lives inside your body. Your body is just, as the Bible describes it, an earthen vessel, a house of clay, an earthen pot, an earthly tabernacle, but the real you, the soul, lives in the inside. And whenever we think about the soul, we think about the will, the intellect, the desires, the emotions, and also the thought life. And the Bible speaks a lot about the thoughts of the heart or the thoughts of the innermost being. The book of Proverbs says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Ultimately, what we think about most determines what we are and what we become. Ralph Waldo Emerson was a, a, an American playwright, author, and poet, and he said, Sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an action, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and reap 
a destiny. And it all begins with a thought. What we think about often determines our actions, and our actions determine our habits. Our habits determine our character, and our character can determine as well our destiny. And so often the thoughts that arise in our hearts can be thoughts of anxiety, anxious thoughts, careful thoughts, thoughts that concern our worries and the things that cause us to be afraid. And I'm sure tonight that some in the meeting and maybe many others that are watching us online and listening in from their home or some other place are overcome with anxious thoughts, overcome with anxiety. The word anxiety can be defined as a feeling of unease, such as worry or fear that can be mild or severe. Every single one of us know to a greater or lesser degree what anxiety is. Even something as superficial as a trip to the dentist can cause us to be anxious. Or getting into a car with a a driver that maybe we don't have much confidence in can cause us to be anxious. And then whenever we think about death and bereavement and sickness and financial adversity and we think maybe about the future or we consider our families or maybe even our state before Almighty God, all of those things individually or collectively can cause us to be anxious. And here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, we are introduced to the disciples once again. They're gathered together in the same room. And it says, in verse number 36, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they didn't have it all together. They didn't understand everything that was happening. And it says, therefore, in verse number 37, But they were terrified and affrighted, and they came to the wrong conclusion, and they supposed that they had seen a spirit. And then the Lord asks them two questions. First of all, why are ye troubled? And then secondly, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? And he's dealing and challenging their anxiety, dealing with their anxiety. And I think tonight as we look at these uh, questions that the Lord asks and the verses either side of them, the Lord gives us something of an antidote to anxiety. Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Maybe tonight that's the Lord's question to you this evening. Why are you troubled? And what sort of thoughts are arising in your heart? And where did those thoughts come from? And how are you to deal with them? Why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Let's think for just a few moments, first of all, about the heart of the Savior's question. The heart of the Lord's question. You know tonight the Lord, as He does with us, He knew about the reality of their fears. He knew here that they're doubting. He knows that they're worried. He knows that they're filled with anxiety. Verse 37 says they were terrified and they were 
affrighted. Verse 38 says they were troubled. And the word troubled there, it really means that they were stirred. They were unsettled. They were agitated. They were disturbed. You remember whenever the Lord was down there at the pool of Bethesda? The Word of God says in John chapter 5 that an, an angel came down and troubled the waters. The waters that were so still, this angel would come and agitate and disturb and trouble the waters. And that's the thought here as far as the hearts of the disciples were concerned. They were agitated. They weren't really enjoying peace. They were stirred up within themselves. They were afraid. And these thoughts had arisen within their hearts. And yet the Lord had said in John chapter 14, just really a, a few days previous before going to the cross, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And then he reminds them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And he spoke these wonderful words of comfort into their hearts. Don't allow your hearts to be troubled. And then just a few days later, as he appears to the same disciples in the upper room, he realizes you are troubled. The very thing that I told you not to do and told you not to be is the very thing that you're doing, and that's what you are. You're troubled. But I still think the Lord was so tender and so gracious. And you'll notice here that their troubled hearts were directly linked to what they were thinking about. Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts. The condition of our emotions and our soul and the condition of our our hearts are very often determined by the things that we allow to enter into our minds or the things that we feel we can't stop entering into our minds. And those thoughts begin to take root. And as they take root, our thoughts enter into our hearts and into our souls and we find ourselves troubled agitated and disturbed. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, why do these thoughts arise? These anxious thoughts, where do they come from? In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, in fact, the whole second part of that wonderful, blessed chapter, the Lord deals with the subject of anxiety and worry. He says, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, or what ye shall put on. And take no thought for food and for for clothing, and take no thought for your stature, and take no thought for tomorrow. All of the things that we worry about concerning providing for ourselves, and putting food on the table, and clothes on our backs, and our stature, our physical bodies, our health, our strength and that of her families as well. And then thoughts concerning the future. It covers a lot of ground. And the Lord knows that sometimes we're filled with anxiety. It might be circumstantial. Maybe tonight there's anxiety in your heart because of the circumstances that you find yourself in. 
And then some of our anxieties can be dispositional, if you like. It's our disposition. It's the result of living in a fallen world, and we're fallen, and we're broken people, and the fall can affect us in so many ways with regards to infirmity. It might be emotional, it might be physical, it might be intellectual, and sometimes God's people can be given to different infirmities or besetting sins, and some believers can struggle with things that other believers don't struggle with so much, and there's no doubt at all that some believers struggle with anxiety more than others. And furthermore, anxiety might not just be dispositional or circumstantial, but we could also say that anxiety sometimes, certainly, can be diabolical. It can come from the devil himself. The Bible speaks in Ephesians chapter 6 about the fiery darts of the wicked. And if the Lord spares us, God willing, in the new year, in our Monday night Bible studies, we'll, we'll come to look at that portion in Ephesians chapter 6 concerning spiritual warfare and the armor of God. But the idea behind those fiery darts is military generals would often command their, their army to dip their arrows in balls of tar, and they'd put tar around the point of the arrow, or just behind the point, and they would set fire to it. And whenever they would launch their arrow, not only would they, the arrowhead go in, but this, this ball of tar would set fire to whatever it hit. Maybe it was a, an earthly dwelling. Maybe it was an, even a, a person. And that arrow would enter in, and that fiery dart would take hold, and the tar, the burning tar, would set fire to whatever the target was. And that's just the thought behind these thoughts that the devil can put into our hearts and minds that seem to cause so much upheaval and so much destruction. Now you'll notice here the Lord says, why do thoughts arise in your hearts? And the idea there is that sometimes these thoughts can come from deep within and they rise up and they snowball and they get bigger and bigger and bigger like a tsunami wave and they just come avalanching in upon us and they overtake everything and they become the dominant consuming thing in our minds. Why are ye troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? One of the most amazing truths in all the Bible is the truth that the Son of God, the eternal Son, the eternal Logos, the eternal Word, became a man. And his humanity was a very real humanity. So much so that the author of the book of Hebrews says that our great high priest is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And he himself knows what it is to be troubled. For example, we read in the Gospel of John chapter 11, and verse number 33, as the Lord stood at the grave of Lazarus, and he watched the people weeping all around him, Mary and Martha especially, it says he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. He was disturbed. He was unsettled. Now, he wasn't given over to a slavish fear or worry 
our anxiety the way we are, but his emotions were stirred up. And sadness entered into his heart. And he knew what it was to be troubled in his soul. We read again and in John 12 and 27, the Savior said, Now is my soul troubled. And he was thinking about the anguish of the cross. And even before he got to the cross, there was a sense of anguish within his heart. And still, whenever he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And it shows us the reality and the fullness of his humanity in all points tempted like as we are, yet all the while without sin. It's one of the great mysteries of the incarnation. The heart of the question, consider as well the context of the question. Where the Savior was when he asked this question, who he asked the question to, and where it was on the calendar. It all falls in the backdrop of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The eleven are gathered together in the upper room. The Son of God has just appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus. And likewise, they were troubled, and their countenances had fallen, and their hearts were filled with sadness. And the Word of God says that Jesus himself drew near and, and went with them and began to speak to them. And then we read in verse number 33 that they, that the two arose up the CMR and returned unto Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known unto them in the breaking of bread. And then the Lord Jesus Christ himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they just couldn't get it all together. They didn't understand it. Here's the Lord standing in their midst, but like the two on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And they supposed that they had seen a spirit, and they were terrified, and they were affrighted. And whenever we think of how and where and what these eleven were, we need to remind ourselves that they were tired. They were tired physically, and they were tired emotionally. And sometimes whenever we are tired physically and burned out emotionally, that's whenever these anxious thoughts can enter into your hearts. The Son of God said, Come ye into a desert part and rest a while. A desert place. Come apart into a desert place and rest a while. Sometimes whenever we're tired and we're weary, and we maybe haven't got as much sleep as we needed to get, we can become all of a sudden very anxious and very afraid. It was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones who, speaking about this little book by Richard Sibbs, who was a, an old Puritan in the 17th century, the title of the book, The Bruised Reed, taken from that great text in the book of Isaiah that speaks of our Savior, a bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. The great Martin Lloyd-Jones of Westminster Chapel said concerning this book and its author, I shall never cease to be grateful to Richard Sibbs, who was a balm to my soul at a period in my life when I was overworked and badly overtired, and therefore subject in an unusual manner 
to the onslaughts of the devil. I found at that time that Richard Sibbs, who was known in London in the early 17th century as the heavenly Dr. Sibbs, was an unfeeling remedy. The bruised reed, quickened, quietened, soothed, comforted, encouraged, and healed me. He says at a time in his life, overworked and overtired, he was made subject to the onslaughts of the devil. And sometimes whenever we're tired, our thoughts can be thoughts of anxiety. Not only were they tired, but they were also discouraged. Many of their hopes, as they thought, were not yet realized. The Word of God says in Proverbs thirteen twelve, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Sometimes whenever we have a certain desire within our hearts and we pray about it and we believe that God is going to answer our prayers and maybe He doesn't answer at the time or in the manner that we expect, all of a sudden we can be anxious through discouragement. Somebody once said that depression and discouragement are the Christian's occupational hazards. Not only were they tired and discouraged, but they were also confused. Their concept of what the Lord Jesus Christ should do, and when He should do it, and how He should do it, and where He should do it, just hadn't all come together the way they thought. And they were now somewhat confused. All of these reports that they're hearing, things that they themselves had seen, and now the Savior stands in their midst, and they do not recognize Him, and they're somewhat confused. And they're trying to put the pieces together. But like a little boy trying to put together a jigsaw, whenever they get frustrated, did you ever try to just push the piece in? You know it doesn't fit. You know it's not in the right place, but you try to hammer it in anyway. And that's what they're trying to do. They're putting all of the pieces together, but they're not getting the right picture. And some of the pieces aren't there at all for them to put in. Also, they felt perhaps under threat. Here they are in this upper room, eleven of them gathered together, and the Son of God has been crucified upon a cross. And before he went to the cross, he said in John's Gospel, Marvel not, if the world hate you, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Matthew 24, he says, Ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And their lives are under threat, and they're thinking about the future, and they're thinking about their days ahead, and they're thinking about what's happened to their Lord, and they're wondering, perhaps, is the same thing going to happen to us? And then, perhaps, as well, they had a level of remorse. Whenever the Lord was in the Garden of Gethsemane, some of them deserted the Lord and fled. In fact, all of them did. And only John went back to the cross. And so there's a level of remorse there. We doubted the Lord. We forsook the Lord. We failed the Lord. We fled from the garden. We left Christ there to go to that awful cross. And we forsook Him whenever He needed us the most. Sometimes a level of guilt can be a big contributing factor towards anxiety. And in my experience, and I'm sure in yours as well, if you've maybe sat down beside somebody and they've confided in you as to things in their lives that maybe nobody knows anything about, and this awful sense of guilt and remorse fills their hearts with anxiety, 
and worry and fear and consternation. And furthermore, they were few in number. They didn't have many people to confide in, to go to, who knew how they felt because there was just the eleven. And they all seemed to feel the same way. And maybe tonight as you look at your life and you think about some of those factors, tiredness, discouragement, confusion as to the will of God in your life, a sense of uncertainty regarding the future, maybe a sense of remorse as well, and the feeling that nobody really understands how you feel all feed into and contribute to your anxiety. So you have the heart of the question. You've got the context of the question. But let's consider just briefly as well the answer to their question. Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? In the previous point, we looked at some of the circumstances, some of the contributing factors that may have added to their anxiety or maybe made them a prey to anxiety. But what was the root problem in their hearts? Not just the external influences, but why do thoughts arise in your hearts? The Savior seems to be saying that the the anxiety that you're struggling with isn't solely because of external influences and factors, but these thoughts are coming from deep within, rising up within your hearts. All of these thoughts that are gathering together, what's the root problem? Well, there's no doubt at all that the enemy was busy. Make no mistake about it, child of God, every Christian has a very real enemy. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. The Bible says he is the father of liars. The Word of God describes him as being Apollyon, the destroyer. He's a slanderer. He slanders and accuses and lies to the child of God and seeks to put thoughts into your hearts. And here's a group of believers, the nucleus of the early church. And the Son of God has got a great plan and a great purpose for their lives. And so it's it's no surprise that the enemy would seek to come in like a flood and cause these thoughts to arise within their hearts. The mind is a battlefield. And the reality is as well that we still have what the Bible calls infirmity, weaknesses. Even though we're saved now, we're believers, we're Christians, and we're forgiven, and we're justified, and we're saved, and we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and we're new creatures in Christ. The Word of God is still very, very clear that every Christian has what we could call infirmity which just means weakness. We are fallen creatures. And just because we're saved doesn't mean that everything all of a sudden becomes a bed of roses. And that body of yours is no longer subject to sickness or weakness or decay. And so it is with the inner man, the innermost being. There's still a level of infirmity there. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual infirmity. And here the disciples are showing that their spiritual perception is dull and they're still struggling with infirmity. Even though the Son of God has died on a cross, 
even though he is risen again, even though he has appeared to them, even though they're saved and they're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they still have this problem of infirmity. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God helpeth our infirmities. We have got very real infirmities, and we're not always discerning of what the Lord is doing in our lives. And here the Savior has appeared to these disciples. He's there before them, but they do not recognize Him. And oftentimes the Lord comes to us, and we do not recognize what He's doing. We do not always see what He's doing. Sometimes we're ignorant of His ways, ignorant of His will, ignorant of His works, and maybe even ignorant of His words. But here they are, and really what they're doing is they're walking by sight and not by faith. The Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, walk by faith and not by sight. And we need to be reminded of that again and again and again and again because so often we look at things around us and we consider what we can see and what we can discern with our five senses. And we begin to walk by faith, or rather by sight, rather than by faith. William Cooper, who wrote that wonderful hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, he says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. And can't we all be guilty? I'm guilty of it. Of judging what the Lord is doing by the things that we can see and immediately experience with our senses. The things that we see. The things that we can hear. The things that we maybe feel within our bodies, physically. Or the emotions that we feel within our souls and we judge where we are with God on the basis of what we can see or experience with our senses. Rather than trusting Him in spite of what we see and feel and can touch and hear. If only we could see the Lord Jesus Christ with our naked eye. If only we could hear the Lord Jesus Christ with our external ears. If only we could touch Him Sometimes we think, well, all would be well, and we wouldn't have these thoughts within our hearts. Robert Murray McShane was a young Scottish pastor. He never really enjoyed great health, but he was a godly, godly young pastor. And he made this beautiful statement. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the very next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Friends, the Bible says that He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And if we could just hear our Savior praying for us right now, we would have no anxious thoughts at all if we could just see the Son of God in all of His glory, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, worshipped by legions of angels and the spirits of countless believers now made perfect in holiness, and all things under His feet. And we could see Him as He's revealed in Revelation chapter 1, 
And we could hear the very Son of God interceding for us, praying for us by name, bringing us before the Father, and praying for us, we would have absolutely no anxious thoughts. But just because we cannot audibly hear him does not change the reality of the truth of God's word that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Peter said concerning the Bible, and it's in a remarkable verse in 2 Peter chapter 119 as he spoke about the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus Christ transfigured, glorified before him, and then a voice speaking from heaven, the voice of God the Father, and he says, which voice we heard. He goes on to say concerning the written word of God, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. He says the written word is more sure and more certain than hearing an audible voice from heaven. And what is faith? Faith is resting upon what God has said in the pages of Holy Scripture. Now, friends, tonight we know that we should believe. But sometimes we feel it difficult just to trust. And that is not because of the imperfection of the Bible. That is because of the infirmity of the flesh. And sometimes to enable us to trust the Lord more, the Lord tries and tests and resists and stretches the little bit of faith that we have because faith is like muscle. In order for muscle to grow, it needs to be stretched. It needs to be resisted in order for it to be strengthened. And the Lord knows exactly where His disciples are. He knows exactly what they are. He knows exactly what they're thinking. And He doesn't allow them to, be su to suffer them to be tempted above that, that they are able. But He comes to them whenever they're afraid and whenever they're troubled. And yet, in a spiritual sense, he's been there all the while. Can you ever look back to whenever you were a little boy or a little girl and you were learning to ride a pushbike? And maybe for months you'd got two little stabilizers, training wheels either side of the, of the rear axle of that little bike. And you rode about, heart's content with those stabilizers on, knowing that unless you do something really stupid, you're not going to fall off. And then your dad or your granddad came along and says, now it's time to take off the training wheels, take off the stabilizers. And they took off the stabilizers and they held a little seat and they, they just steadied the bike. And you were happy and content as long as you knew that they're still holding on to you. And then you maybe got so consumed with trying to turn the pedals around and keep your balance that you almost forgot that they're there behind you all the while. And then maybe they just let go of you for just a few moments, but still, unknown to you, behind you were the strong arms of a loving father. And as you tried to pedal, you're so afraid, and then you maybe feel yourself beginning to go, and all of a sudden, those arms lay hold upon you, and they set you up upright again. And that process continued maybe for a few days, or maybe for a few weeks, or maybe just for a few minutes until at last you felt that you're able to steer that bike and pedal that bike yourself. And there are times whenever we're conscious of the Lord's hands upon us. And then there are times whenever it seems the Lord for a moment has forsaken us. But the Bible says with great mercies He will gather us. And all the while, whether we're conscious of it or not, underneath and round about, 
are the everlasting arms. Like a little boy that I heard about once went to bed. He was afraid. He was having nightmares. He was just a lad of four or five years of age. And he woke up his dad and says, Daddy, would you come and just sit in the bed beside me? The father got into the bed and lay down beside him. And they turned out the light. And the little boys are in pitch blackness. He can't see his dad. And then he calls out in the darkness. He says, Daddy, which way are you facing? And the dad says, Son, I'm facing right into your face. I'm just a few inches away. And all of a sudden, that little boy's heart is filled with confidence. I can't see him, but he has given me the word that he's watching me and he's with me. And there we have the great remedy to the problem here, this problem of anxiety. The one who could help The one who could deliver was right there in the very midst. The only problem was not the Lord, but the problem was the disciples just hadn't recognized him yet. Just like the two on the road to Emmaus, a little bit before verse 16, their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Then verse number 31, then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And it's the same thing here in the upper room. The Lord comes and stands in the midst. But presently they do not recognize him until he begins to speak into their hearts and into their lives. So what's the remedy? What's the thing that's going to help us with our anxiety? It's the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in our lives. Verse 36 says, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Did you ever notice how so often in the Bible the Lord's appearance leads to joy? John's account of this same scene in John chapter 20, verse 20 says, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And there's no greater remedy or antidote to anxiety than seeing the Lord afresh, than experiencing the Lord drawing near to us. And the Bible assures us if we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. So not only did the Lord draw near, but verse 36 says, He saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So they've got the presence of the Lord. And now they've got the Word of the Lord, the Word of Christ Himself. And the Scripture makes it very, very clear that the the Savior's words, they bring great comfort and they bring Great joy. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 4 says, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. His gracious words of pardon were comfort to my heart. He took away my burdens and bade my fears depart. Beloved, tonight that's why it's so important to gather around the Word of God. That's why it's so important to read the Bible for yourself. To pray like Samuel, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. But maybe you've never responded to the Word of God in your life at all. Maybe you don't have Christ in your heart. Maybe tonight you don't have Christ in your home. I trust tonight that you'll respond to the call of God and trust Him. There's also the compassion of Christ. I think the Lord's full of compassion whenever he said unto them. He didn't shout unto them. He didn't cry unto them. He simply said unto them, Why are ye troubled? Why do thoughts arise 
in your heart. Christ asked these questions. I don't take them to be a stinging rebuke. I don't take them to be a, 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 a word scolding them for their poor performance as believers. Just as the Lord said in the Sea of Galilee, Why were ye fearful? O ye of little faith, or as the Lord said to the three in the Garden of Gethsemane, Could ye not watch with me even for one hour? I don't take those to be stinging rebukes. I don't take that to be the Lord scolding or beating up his disciples. I believe that's the Lord showing his disciples, listen, you're weak and you're frail and you can't do it alone. You can't even pray one hour. You are fearful. Your faith is weak and your faith is small. And you are troubled. And you are afraid. And I know all about it. But I'm asking you these questions so that you might realize something of who I am and of my love and concern and compassion even for you. Because the Bible says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax he shall not quench. A reed is very, very easily broken, especially if it stands in isolation. Reeds are stronger in great number. But you get a reed in isolation and it is very easily broken by the wind. And especially if that reed has been bruised or put under pressure, it becomes so weak. And the Son of God says He will not break the bruised reed. Maybe tonight you're bruised and you feel that you're broken and you feel that you're going to falter and fail and you beat yourself up even more. Jesus Christ is compassionate. He comes to us tonight in our anxiety and weakness. He wants to speak into our hearts and into our lives and bless us with his great comfort. He said in John's Gospel and the 14th chapter, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And here's a fulfillment and part of that great promise. The disciples need comfort. They perhaps fear the worst. And yet before the Lord ascends up into glory, he goes and visits his disciples again and comes to where they are. And he assured us of that same comfort. He says, I will give you another comforter and he will abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom you have not seen. And that's why it is so vital for us tonight to get to know the person of God the Holy Spirit. Because he can do everything in our lives that Christ did in the hearts and lives of his disciples. The blessed comforter himself, the Holy Ghost. Can I ask you tonight, are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you afraid? Are you affrighted? Are you troubled? Do thoughts arise in your hearts? Listen tonight, Jesus Christ is here. He's got a word and season for you. He's full of love and compassion and tender mercies. And he's able to comfort you. Maybe tonight the problem is you do not know him at all. You've never trusted him as your savior. And yet he says to you again tonight, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. May God bless you tonight, encourage your heart, and draw you afresh to himself.